Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Paul, I know how much you love it when I bring my studies in. Actually, Rick, I usually don't like it when you bring your studies in. Well, this is when you are going to love it. (laughs) It's from uh, some friends of yours at Sonoma State University. Oh, yeah. And it's about what we all really drink. Well, you and I really drink wine. You really drink wine. But it's also about what kinds of wine and why. Okay, good. Uh, Do you drink wine because it tastes good? Surprisingly, yes, I do, and so do most people. Well, wait, this is a study you've done? Well, it's not me. This is your friends at Sonoma State. (laughs) Those are are professional academics. (laughs) They are. In any case, we're also today, we are going to do a little self-promotion. There you go. And what is it we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about us being on the road at, at Amador Four Fires. Okay. A, a lovely, lovely thing. And also, we got have listeners who ask about the color of wine, letting a bottle breathe, and one poor guy, and this is a poor guy, asked for relationship advice from us. Oh, boy. They won't learn. Oh, boy. Plus, our horrible wine writing is unctuous, yet unctuous, yet brash. And as usual, we are making fun of wine snobs. Yes, we are. By the way, we are still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. That's Sacramento's NPR station. And actually, we're in the special category of Capital Public Radio Recommends. Thank you, Capital Public Radio and NPR. Gosh, um, their standards have lowered. Generous people they are. I guess they, <laughs> they feel like they need to have it across the gamut, and we are the low end of the gamut. <laughs> That's right. Um, before we get to the study, let's do our fun self-promotion. Um, Rick, usually you have to do something in order to promote. Well, that's usually our issue, but we actually are doing something now. Uh, and we'll be, we'll be taping a show live at the Four Fires oh, Festival yeah. in that's Plymouth. Right. That's at Amador County Fairgrounds on Saturday, May 6th. Not so long away. And by the way, that is just a fun thing. The uh, yep. Four Fires is a, it's a big food and wine festival, but it's set up a little differently than most. So you, each one, each it's by each region that feeds. Amador County, or, or it's, or it's, yeah, it's region it's actually, of origin. It's so actually fun. There's an Iberian section that has all the Portuguese and, and Spanish grapes. There's another one that's French that has the, sort of the Rhone grapes, another one that's Italian, and then a fourth section that's about Zinfandel. And each one of those has a special cooking station where they cook absolutely great, great food over an open fire. Yeah, because fires matter. And it is, it's, it's kind of a, you can't help uh, if whether you wanted to or not, you end up learning something about those grapes because what what you get to do is you get to taste a whole bunch of say Zinfandels against each other. Yeah, Rick. Next time you should taste instead of drinking the way you did last time. I, I well, I wait till it's over and I just chug. So I chug all the Zins against each <laughs> when other. When they say, "Do you want one?" they mean a taste, not a bottle. <laughs> oh, okay. I got to remember <laughs> that. All right, and and we will be t- mid afternoon. Uh, we'll be taping a show live, live from, show from the bandstand. That's Come right. on, ask us questions. Yep. The, uh, any question you like. Like. It's and better if it's about wine, but we can we'll try anything. Relationship questions. Yeah, we're good at those. And, and well, we're we're bad at all of them. That's right. <laughs> and and if we don't know the answer, we don't worry about it. We will just make something we up. We make something up. That's what we do. All right. Well, we are not making up this study from Sonoma State. It's an actual real study. And a and, uh, little disclaimer here. I wrote a book about wine marketing, and my co-authors were Liz Tosh and Janine Olson from Sonoma State, and they're nice people, and they're really smart. Why they wrote a book with me, I'll never know. It is a good question. I know, Liz, she is smart, and I've asked her that question, actually. Why did she write a book with you? And but she didn't have an answer, she, did she? She threw up her hands. <laughs> That's all she had. All right. So this was a study. It was really more a survey. Um, uh, and it was across the spectrum of American wine drinkers. Right. Then, so what they do is they they do this. Now they've been doing this for a couple of years, and the idea is sort of a track where we are as as wine drinking nation. Uh, and the percentages of folk 
that they asked were 57% said they had intermediate wine knowledge, which meant they knew a little. 26% they were wine, said they were novices. 15% said they were advanced uh, folk. Right. 1% claimed to be wine connoisseurs. I like, this is their words, by the way, claimed to be wine connoisseurs or experts. <laughs> so they sound a little skeptical. In any case, so it's a mix. It is a big mix. And, and that's not a big surprise, although, you know, in, in almost every subject, when people say, how much do you know about it, most people are going to pick the middle because they don't want to seem too stupid. But Claiming right. to be an expert oh, right. always asking for trouble. Yes. So they'll pick that nice intermediate section no matter what you ask them about. Yeah, and you, and you, you immediately want to question those folk who, um, who said that they are expert, but that, right. that wouldn't be friendly, so I'm not going <laughs> to. Okay. Um, all right, so here's what, uh, here's what we found uh, is that this is the first one was what's the most popular varietal, and I'm going to read it to you, Paul, but you could close your eyes and answer these questions. Yes, I could. It's number one, Chardonnay. Number two, Cabernet. Number three, Merlot. Number four, Pinot Noir. Number five, Pinot Grigio. And the only thing that's missing from that is the White Zinfandel, which is also a very popular wine, but it's not one that people are going to mention on a survey. Right. Yeah, you're right. They, 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 they will admit it a little less. So here's the other thing about that list is other than uh, Pinot Noir and maybe sometimes Cabernet, in the right circumstances, hmm. wine writers just absolutely pillory, if that's the word, these, these, the rest of those varietals. Yes. If they, if they write about them at all. Yes. Because they're just I've not... been looking for a good pilloried Chardonnay. <laughs> well, but you take the Chard and you beat the heck out of it. <laughs> well, first, put... don't you have to put them in those little, the stocks? Yes, you have to. I think that's how you do it, right? You, you lock up the Chardonnay and you slap it around, which is pretty much the, what <laughs> wine writers do. Wine writers do. You know, and it is, it's, so here they are. Once again, this is not, something new if you've listened to us and if you've listened to us twice you are already showing you. you're tough you're tough um but this is this notion that if it's popular they won't write about it right um so here's another one these are the qualities that people choose in in why in wine or what they're looking for in wine and they gave them a list and then mm -hmm. they got to choose as many as they wanted which is why these numbers add up to a lot more than 100 percent. but 52 percent yep. said semi-sweet Yep. So they want some some sweetness in uh -huh. it. 47% yeah. said fruity. 47% said our old friend smooth. Our favorite wine. The one smooth. that a lot of That's sommeliers right. say does not exist. Right. I don't want we're not picking on all psalms. Maybe it was just those psalms, that particular writer and that particular story. 34% said sweet. 34% yep. said dry. So that tells you something right there, too, which is oh yeah, there was two others. There was a savory with 17. So savory is that earthiness kind of thing. You know what? And, I don't think people know what savory I, means well, in terms of wine. I, I'm I think sure they, they may don't. they may think it just means flavorful. Yeah. But I'm willing to bet that if you asked a hundred American consumers what the word savory means in terms of wine, they would not. Get, you would get a hundred definitions. Probably true. Yeah, it means. And I don't. I'm, I don't I probably I, just. I don't mean, want to go down this road. It, yeah. I was going to say it means mineral. Mineral. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, another for another time. And six percent <laughs> right. said tannic. Yeah. Uh, so. But what you get out of that is you, you see, first off, it's across the board, but sweet and fruity are pretty big up on that list. And, and interesting to me, missing from that list, refreshing, crisp, lively. But, Those are not words that the consumers use. Well, no, but it is not surprising. Remember, we did have another study where right. those are words that actually hurt wine sales. No, they actually – people run away from wines yeah. that say they are, have crisp acidity. Yeah, or fre even freshness because yeah. that's not what they're looking for. They think of it as – they think what it's going to be is sour. Right. 
sort of like the way people think of you, Paul. <laughs> no, I was thinking of you, they, Rick. Well, they say I'm refreshing <laughs> your sour. <laughs> All right. And then this is another one that was what you would expect, uh, what we would expect, which is the reasons why they drink wine. And right. you got to check as many as you'd like. 80% like the taste. Okay, fair enough. 61 Good. helps what, me here, Here's what scares me, Rick. 20% of the people drink wine. They don't like the taste. <laughs> <laughs> That's a scary idea. That is kind of scary. scary idea. Well, actually, there's a, there's one down the line here that might that fills most of that gap. Yeah. So okay. 80% for the taste. 61 helps me relax. 55 goes well with food. 48 socialize with friends. 35 socialized with family. Honestly, I thought that would be like 100%. Well, you got the family, pour me a glass of something. Well, yeah, but that's only, but how many, how often do you have They're, they're going for the, the family, hard stuff, right? is what how you're saying. That's, well, well, and how often do you have your family there? So you only drink wine 35% of the time because it helps you with the if family. You flip the, right. If you flip that question, right. how often, who how drinks often? wine when the family's here? 100%. 100%. <laughs> Unless they're going for the scotch. Right. 18% for romance. I think that's the that's fills the in that gap off. That's the 20% doesn't like it. Yep. And, right. and, and this is the good one. Uh, dear wine writers out there, 5% to analyze and compare with friends. Yeah. 5%. Yeah. And remember, th that was a good group of people that said they had advanced wine knowledge. It's intermediate and advanced wine knowledge. Right, right. Yep. All right. And then yep. buying decisions. Good. Buying decisions. This is not surprising. 80% price. 66% brand. Right. You want to buy something you can trust. Right. You don't 46% want to the varietal. Yeah. That makes sense. And then it starts to really drop. 35% country. Uh -huh. um, and then we go in the teens for things like label and vintage and state. Alcohol level was 18%. So, And this is the stuff that I love about uh, the phrase is cognitive dissonance. You want to see what you want to see, right? right? So one wine writer says 18% says, see, alcohol matters to people. Because 82% of the wine people said it didn't it matter. It was seventh on the list. 82% <laughs> of the people said it didn't matter. <laughs> so those other six things weren't... <laughs> and, and then, uh, and this it was a little bit of a surprise, was that organic, sustainable, biodynamic were all in like 2 to 7%, yeah, because which is... Mo but most people think wine is a natural product right. anyway, and right. they're perfectly happy to drink it because it tastes good. Yep. Yeah, and it doesn't. So as Not much hard. as there are a lot of, and I and we applaud them. A lot of big efforts about sustainability in the wine business, and and in many cases, um, regions and wineries and companies are all about that simply because they are in the wine business and they want to yeah, survive. Sure. Um, well, and a lot of, I mean, you know, you end up in the same situation. A lot of people who grow grapes live on the property. Of course, they're going to farm their. Right. Their, their vineyards sustainably. They got to right. live there. But for consumer choices, it, it, it matters much less. Right. Um, yep. And then. A so, what else you got? Are we about cool done things. with this study? Because there are way too good. many numbers here. Yeah. Okay. Well, 89% uh, were very cool with screw caps. That's basically nine out of 10 people are fine with screw cool, cool caps. Right. Okay. And the other one that I liked um, was they gave people three labels. Uh -huh. uh, one was a traditional, you know, Chateau White. Uh, right. Chateau, Chateau Rick Cushman. It was, well, um, no, they would have all gone for that one. Um, <laughs> it was Ch Chateau Smith, you know. And right. then, uh, so there's that one. There was a modern one, which is kind of, you know, it was, it was lean lines and, and right. simple, co bright colors. Right. And then 13 was fun and had like little pictures of critters on it. That would have been Chateau Rick Cushman. Uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, so two-thirds, basically 64%, two-thirds chose traditional. the traditional. Yep. Knock me over with a feather. And only 13 went for the fun. Yeah. So people don't trust. They, they still want the wine to have some of that in there. Yeah. They want it. To, uh, and, and But really, only 13% chose fun. And that one surpri surprised me a bit. Um, 
But you know, you know, by the time you spend fifteen to twenty bucks on a bottle of wine, it's you want it to be more than just something fun. You want it to actually feel like somebody cares about it when they made it. Well, that's why we're free. Because we are just something fun. We are just something fun, and you uh, don't have to pay for us. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, that's what exactly our advice is worth as well, because we are moving Ev- on to questions. Worth every penny. <laughs> that's right. Worth every penny. And so all those of you ask us questions, you're getting what you're paid for. Uh, by the way, thank you for listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Um, and if you'd like to ask us a question, you're not on our website. Just go there. Ask us. We we, we treat you well. We just treat each other badly. Um, <laughs> and look for us on iTunes as well. You can subscribe for free with just a click. Uh, all right. Our first question comes from Megan in Paso Robles. She asks, does alcohol content have anything to do with how strong a wine tastes? And how about color? Is darker better for reds? So those are two very different questions. She's looking uh, for what makes wine strong, though, I think. Well, but strong in flavor or strong in alcoholic content? Because well, obviously, alcohol obviously makes alcohol content well, strong. You know, but you got to say that, yeah. <laughs> no, but you're right. Alcohol you're right. wine, you know, if you have a couple of here. glasses yeah. of that, it's going to be have a different impact. Higher alcohol does not always correspond to stronger flavors. It does correspond to a thicker, heavier feel in the right. mouth. But not necessarily. So does sugar. So they both, you know, they both have that influence. But higher alcohol levels do not necessarily mean stronger flavor. It does mean the grapes probably got riper. Right. But there comes that point, and this is the winemaker's art, as they say, grapes get riper, riper, just like an apple or a banana gets riper or riper. And then there comes a point when you look at it and you realize you should have eaten it yesterday. And the same thing happens with wine grapes. They get riper and riper, and then there comes a point when even though the alcohol will be high, the flavors won't be as clean and fresh. It'll taste a little tired, and you think, huh, high alcohol, but not great flavors here. Right. And it, it also depends on the grapes. Some grapes are get naturally riper, and yes. so uh, one of the classes, classics is Grenache, which tends to need to get ripe, right. but it flavors aren't huge. Right, and so I mean, there there are some others, and, and Cabernet and Zin when they get but riper, in general, they too. a consumer walking into a wine yeah. shop should not say, "Ooh, fifteen percent alcohol." I know it's going to taste better than thirteen percent. Right. In fact, with or, the only right. you might not notice if it's balanced. Absolutely. Right. And color, absolutely not. Color really is simply a function of the grape. I mean, they could have done some things to it to to get color out of it. Right. But you know, we you and I talk about Pinot Noir all the time. It has some really can find some really beautifully light colored Pinot Noirs. Sangiovese as yeah, well. Sangiovese Nebbiolo. But yeah. can have very powerful nebulosity, yeah. maybe even a better example. Yeah. Um, by the way, before we leave this question, yes, on that ripe, overripe banana, the overripe banana. So, a yes. uh, food scientist, you know, no, uh, don't actually make wine with bananas. Do you not. know that, Rick? Well, people probably have tried. I'm sure they actually do. they they make uh, banana beer in it. Yeah, you know, I uh, I'm the chief judge for the home winemakers competition <laughs> in, in California State Fair a couple weeks ago, and. Um, we, we Banana wine? Did not this time, but they have. We have, actually. <laughs> mm. uh, uh, but when that banana is a little—you're starting to get those spots on the— Right. And starting Sugar to, spots. It is actually at its most nutritious. Yes. So, you know, it has it has yep. evolved on your counter to be at its most— It doesn't taste so great at that point, but it's the best for you. So if you're eating banana for the potassium, that's the time. Well, and if you, if you buy your bananas here— you automatically are working with the short end of the stick because if you ever go to a country that produces bananas, the bananas we get here, they would look at them and say, why would anyone eat something like that when you can have so many different and more interesting and more flavorful bananas right well, here in Panama? I, I buy the green ones so I can put them on my hat. <laughs> All right. Our next question is from Joey in Sonoma. 
I think I need help with my girlfriend. This is the poor oh, guy boy. we were talking about. Oh, Joey, boy. hang in there. Buckle your seatbelt, friend. Uh, I think I need help with my girlfriend. I've heard your answers on relationship questions. Well, he knows. And this is against my better judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Good, Joey. I'm really starting to love the wine around here. He's in Sonoma. That's wine country. And I bring my girlfriend these wines that I think are pretty good that I got from the local wineries, especially winery name removed so we don't get sued. Hmm. But she doesn't like them. She likes the sweeter stuff like Moscato and the sweet blends. Yep. She thinks I'm being a snob, but I just want her to get out to, to get to know why these are so good. Any suggestions? Oh, dear, 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 Joey. You have, this, is, this is the classic scenario. This is the classic difficult situation because I will tell you that no two people will ever agree on what's the perfect wine. And, you know, you got to let her like and drink what she likes and she drinks. My wife has a superb palate, but she likes less vinegar in her salad dressing than I do. And she thinks I put too much in, and I think she puts not enough in. And we generally order different kinds of salad dressings to compensate. So, Joey, instead of telling her that she has to like what you like, go out and explore some really great wines that she can get. German Rieslings, Moscato Dasti, some yeah. other things. Yeah, slightly sweeter wines that are really Buy sophisticated Buy some things that wines. she'll love. Yeah. Buy some things that you'll love. You can have a glass of yours. She can have a glass well, of hers. Everybody's happy. See, I was just thinking, if you get, if she's not drinking the wines that you like, Joey, more for you. <laughs> that's or, how Rick does yeah, that's it. That's how I do it. Honey, I brought a bunch of wines well, home that you won't like. And, you know, <laughs> people's tastes change. I don't like the word evolve because that implies that there's a higher standard, but people's tastes change over time and exposure and food and things. And she might run across one of those wines that she does like at some point after she's had some of those reasonings. In the meantime, just be nice to her about what she likes. On the other hand, Joey's tastes may change change and he might turn out to be the biggest fan of Aus Laser Riesling yeah. in the whole world, oh. and good for him. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I say be very, very nice about it and just keep saying, I really like this, and I'll bet you really like yours, and, and keep trying. That's right. Yep. That's right. All right. Well, that's it for questions for the moment. We will have another question or two before we're done. But right now, uh, it's time for some really horrible wine writing. It's a good thing that music makes me so happy because what we're <laughs> about to do is always makes, so, makes me so sad. Makes so so, sad. Yes. That's right. All right. So, Paul, what do you got? Yeah. Um, brash. Well, thank you. I am a little. You are more than a little brash. You are a complete <laughs> brash. Um, brash. This is a brash wine. And gosh, I just wished it. Tell, tell me something about the wine that helps me. And what, brash it, does not help it's, me. It's a, it's a wine that brags about its resume. Or, or maybe it's a wine that leaps into the glass out of the bottle. Because it's, it's, because remember it's, that fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Brash wines for, rush into glasses. I think I know what this brash wine does. And this is a conversation we had before we stepped in the studio. This wine <laughs> leaps up and takes off all its clothes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. no, that's a, a happy ne- Never mind that joke out there. We we're just amusing ourselves now. <laughs> All right. So this was an email offer I got. And so this is so, one of those things where they try, they're trying to sell me wine. Right. So they're, they're sending you a uh, – and are now, do they know you like wine or is this just an absolute cold call out of the blue? No, it's, you know, you, you, you Google a wine thing, you get all these oh, answers. Oh, yeah, you get all yeah. the yeah. secret offers. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. So what so, do they offer you? So this is what it says. When you see the name removed so you don't get sued label – you know you're getting our best. These are our top-of-line wines. 
crafted by crafted by sourcing only top quality grapes from the regions in which those varieties show at their best. For this unctuous and concentrated blend, Ooh. we procured and blended small lots of perfectly ripe grapes from some of the region's most prestigious sun-soaked vineyard blocks. The wine is dark and complex with intense flavors and fine-grained tannins. Serve this blend with a simple seared steak for a meal you won't soon forget. So they wanted me to buy this wine, which was a red blend. Red blend. And right. didn't tell me a single thing about in there. anything. There's nothing in there. It makes it sound like they paid a lot of attention to it, but in fact, they can't tell you a single thing about this wine. They can't tell you what grapes it's made from. They can't tell you where it comes from. They can't even tell you who made it. They don't even mention a winemaker. Yeah, and yeah, and this was... But, but I, it is dark. I, I have this... But I love that, that the, you know, the, the sort of the writing around the, the, the point kind of things. Blend right. small lines. Lots of perfectly ripe grapes from some of the region's most prestigious sun-soaked vineyard blocks. Right. They throw in blocks well, because that and shows they didn't really buy specific. any vineyard blocks that weren't sun-soaked. Yes, you know, and uh, I think we should call up Megan though because Megan already knows that the fact that the wine is dark, us, uh, that's right, makes no difference whatsoever. So two things, by the way. So this was one of the things that did get my curiosity up, and I looked up this, uh, the name. Of the of the of the winery of, that was been removed allegedly, so we won't yeah. be sued later, and got an address. So uh-huh. then I did you know really difficult thing of googling the address. Ah uh, yes, I even looked at the winery. Turns out it's a it's a house in a <laughs> suburb of Davis. <laughs> it is just a, of course so, it yes. is. Uh, the other thing, by the way, unctuous, and this is unctuous. This yes. unctuous is actually yes. you're kind uh, of unctuous, right? It, it I actually, wouldn't. I, you're brash and unctuous both. Well, that's it. Uh, yeah, you know. Well, especially the the definitions that really the the primary the first three definitions of unctuous are oily, groveling, and creepy. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, like I said, that's Rick, me. That's you, baby. <laughs> we are, yeah. So but that's, that's a funny thing. That, that, I want. Do you have any oily, groveling, creepy wine? Yeah. Well, that's and that's a phrase that shows up a lot when people are trying to make this wine sound delicious. It's so what they're saying. It's a creepy wine. I like yes. that. Right. It's unctuous for yeah. our um, our our engineer and producer Matt Pacini, who writes horror movies. Yes. I think you this should is, have an unctuous movie next. This is the wine up. that yeah. the wine that comes back from the dead. All right. Well, speaking of coming back from the dead, let's ruin somebody else's day by answering a few more questions before we go. Do we have any unctuous questions? <laughs> we, we, yeah, we we have some groveling ones actually. Yeah. Um, all right, this is from Cody in Sacramento. Actually, it's a pretty simple one. Does opening the bottle to quote let it breathe unquote actually do anything by just letting it sit in the bottle? Not so much. Not so much. Great, great story. Great, great legend. Great, great tradition. Doesn't actually do much. Uh, the theory is that wine can develop occasionally a little off aroma that'll evaporate out of the neck, but it'll evaporate much quickly out of more quickly out of your glass. There's also the theory that as the wine is exposed to oxygen, the aromas develop more and they burst forth, especially if they are a brash wine, they would (laughs) burst forth. But in fact, that happens much quicker in the glass too. So if you want to let your wine breathe, pour it in the glass. If you don't want to let it breathe, strangle it. Yeah, there you go. Well, and that's kind of what you're doing. That's a little tiny hole in a lot of wine (laughs) and there's not a lot going on. There's there's not a lot of air exchange. I mean, if you want to drink in that wine on Saturday, maybe Thursday night's the time and open it up. Uh, but it really doesn't. And I know you get that a lot. I know that happens a lot at restaurants where the server, especially it's the server and not the wine person, is trying to be nice. And if you brought a wine or bought right. a wine, right. you say, should I open to let it breathe? And, right. um, yeah, and now, if you do need to let it breathe, you know, pour it. 
pour it. Or the other thing is, if you really, if you really know that you want to give the wine extra oxygen, pour Decant. it into a decanter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Which we've talked about in the past and will again in the future. Yep. Okay. One more before we go. This is from Allie in San Francisco. She asks, what's a second label? One of my wine geek friends was really excited she got a second label of something. I didn't know whether to say way to go or second place is good too. <laughs> That's funny, well, Allie. You, you've, been, you've been second in a number of things. Maybe I've been, you should address I, I'm second to last in many things. I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of like a ninth label is what I am. You know, Allie is right on target because I got uh, – in the last month, I've had two different uh, – calls into my office from professional journalists working on stories about second, about labels. second labels. How did they start and all that. Mm-hmm. The, here, here's, let's, let's start with the origin of the second label. Yeah, and then, uh, and then when you do that, I'm going to add, add something about the, what the, the modern coolness right. to it, but go ahead. So the origin is, in the great old days, you'd take one of the most famous chateaus in the world, like Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, and they would harvest all their grapes. And and their job was to make the best possible wine they could. So they would blend the different vineyard blocks together, but occasionally they'd have one lot of grapes or one section of the vineyard or one varietal that just wasn't quite making it into the blend. They would make everything else into Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, and then they would release, they'd bottle that other wine as pretty darn good wine, but not quite good enough to get into Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. They called it Carrade de Lafitte. And they'd sell it for maybe 40, 50 percent of the price of Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. So it was just a way to use up the production of the vineyard that wasn't getting into the first label. That was then. And now... First, it's a marketing tool It's now. a marketing tool. There are wineries who started that way, yeah. but who now make... You know, there are wineries who make 10 times as much of their second label as they make right. of their first label. And, um, and by having a second label, it in theory elevates your first label, quote unquote, by saying, we, you know, our first label is really special stuff. Right. And so, but, but it, it's, it's a dual kind of a thing. So one, yep. you're elevating your first label and meanwhile, you're making it sound like you're getting something pretty special with the second yep. label and there are, you know, thousands and thousands of cases. Of and, it. And, and there's, I mean, there's a famous story of, of quite a big wine, a big, a huge international beverage company that got into the wine industry and bought a whole bunch of very good wineries and in every case then introduced at the 10 to $15 level a second label for every single one of those wines because that's how you maximize your investment. Didn't have anything to do with how the wines were made. Didn't have anything to do with where they came from. Just we want to sell more wine. Yeah. You know, as I think about it, maybe that's why uh, Capital Public Radio keeps us on their podcast lineup. We're like their second we're label. We're the second label. Yeah. You got Terry Gross. You got yeah. you got Chris Steely. And, and then you got Rick and Paul. And Paul. Yep. Yep. That's right. Well, that's it for another round of the second label <laughs> bottle talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Matt Bassini. Thank, Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for allowing us to be their second label and for the studio use <laughs> as well. If you'd like to ask us a question, we always take them. Go to rickandpaulwine.com and come see us at Amador Four Fires in Plymouth, May 6th. It'll be brash. Unctuous. <laughs> and unctuous. Yeah, and unctuous. ask a question. Yeah, yeah. Come and ask a question. That, we'll would, be, that would be brash too. And if you yep. learned anything today, we hope it's this. Drinking wine because you like the taste makes you... Pretty much like everyone else, which is a good thing. I'm Rick Cushman. (laughs) And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. 